Hey, this is Richard Friend. You're listening to Top 5 Comics Podcast. Keep on rocking. <laughs> Welcome to Top 5 Comics Podcast. People talking about comics, pop culture, and events. With us today, we have CBS. Hi, everybody. How you doing? We also have Rob. Hello. It's just me. (laughs) Good job, Rob. Thanks for showing up. I like to say special guest, but... Well, your pants are here, so that's good. Well, that's true. That's true. But I, I'm not necessarily a special guest. I'm here quite a bit. So. Oh, right, right. Yeah, I don't get you the special yourself. guest rate. You mean yourself, not your pants. Well, yeah. I yeah. usually bring the pants with me. Yeah, that doesn't mean they're on. They can't see you. That was supposed to be a secret. <laughs> yeah. That one that was supposed to be confidential. Well, it's too late for that now. Now you know why the cast keeps getting smaller. <laughs> Knowing he's out the battle. Yeah, Joe. Exactly. All right, well, w- welcome everybody to Top of Comics Podcast. Today we are going to be doing episode number 108. Yeah! All right. Book-wise today, we're going to be doing uh, Action Comics number 999. How often do you get to say that? Not very often. No. Uh, X-Men Blue, number 23. And then that'll follow up by Sea of Thieves, number 1. Now, after that, we have Deathbed, number one, which is from Vertigo Comics. Sea of Thieves is from uh, Titan Comics, in case you didn't know. And we'll wrap it all up with the uh, New Mutants, Dead Souls, number one, which is from Marvel. Being that they're mutants, you should know that. You know, things and stuff. Anyhow, uh, we don't have any Ross, but we'll go ahead and uh, take a little bit of news from the dog pile. Damn it. <laughs> um, so I guess we'll kick it off. I mean, as far as books are concerned, we're going to have a whole batch of, uh, books coming out. Uh, well, there's, there's always lots of books coming out. News wise, it's mostly been DC this week, I guess. So, uh, they made an announcement that we're going to have Batman issue number 44. We'll have a duel, like, matching covers. So one will be Catwoman, one will be Batman. The Catwoman is done by Joelle Jones. So I'm super stoked about that. She's amazing. I don't remember who does the Batman, but they both look cool as far as like covers are concerned. But yeah, they like mirror images. One's of her, uh, looking at herself in the wedding or in the wedding dress looking in the mirror. And the other one is him in the suit looking in the mirror. And the reflections, of course, are their counterparts, the cat and the bat. So I think that'll be neat as things. And then, uh, along with those, we're going to have a batch of, uh, one shots come out that are, Preludes to the Wedding, so it's a Batman, the Batman, I guess the titling is going to be Batman Prelude to the Wedding and then insert whoever it is. So, one of those will be Robin vs. Ra's al Ghul, number one, followed up by uh, Nightwing vs. Hush, which I think that'll be really cool, it's written by Tim Seeley, so I'm pretty stoked for that. Uh, Travis Moore will be doing the art, so I don't totally recognize that name, but I don't know, the one picture looks cool. Uh, the Robin and, uh, Rassel Ghoul is also written by Tim Seeley, with the art by Brad Walker. So if you read Nightwing, you should be familiar with Seeley. I mean, he's been writing Nightwing for the better part of Rebirth, and he also writes Hacks, well, he wrote Hacks Slash, the good stuff of it, and he also wrote Revival, which is a show, we, book we talked about on the show quite a bit. 
Then we're going to have Batgirl versus the Riddler. Uh, also Tim Seeley. And this is a Minkoon Jug doing the art. And then we're going to have Red Hood versus Anarchy. Uh, again, this is Tim Seeley. So I want to say, he, I think he's writing all of them. Uh, art's going to be Javier Fernandez. And then we're going to have Harley Quinn versus the Joker. Uh, this is also Tim Seeley. And then it's, uh, Sammy Bas, Basrai doing the art, which is not another name I'm not terribly familiar with, but so what? What do I know? Anyhow, but they're all written by Tim Seeley. So the bunch of one shots like leading up to the wedding. And, uh, I don't know. Most of them sound like they'll be really cool. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be interesting to see what they're going to do with them. I mean, it's not uncommon for them to do these kind of one shot no, storylines no. for a big thing. But some of the titles are pretty impressive. Like, I don't think we've really had a legitimate Hush story in a while. No, not for a minute. And they've been doing a lot of stuff with Anarchy, but I don't think we've had Red Hood face off against him, which is... Yeah, I don't think so. I think cool. most of the time we've seen him has either been in Titans or in... Uh, uh, well, he was in a book real recently. Well, I don't... Well, he's been running around in Detective, I think. Detective, that's what mm. it was. That's so... the book I was thinking of. I couldn't remember what it was. Mm. Rob, you got some other news? Uh, I do have a little bit. The um, They're going to do a new Hawkman book in June, I believe. But it's going to be written by Robert Venditti and have art by Brian Hitch. That's cool. And kind of the cool thing is basically they're building off what we've reestablished for Hawkman in metal. And kind of what, what they're talking about doing is having Carter have access to his um, memories from his previous life. And so he's going to have kind of a, a history. So he's going to be able to have access to his previous life's mis- memories. They want to basically reuse some of his history and create new mythology in it. Uh, and although Hawkwoman is not titled, she's going to be a big part of the story as well. So... Uh, it sounds really cool because it, it, if you're a Hawkman fan, it sounds like they're really going to be building this on the history of, of the character, along with kind of exploring new elements that they haven't shown before, building them in the new 52. So if you've liked what happened with him in Metal, this is going to be a great starting off point, but their goal is to make him be a significant player in the DC universe. Well, that's cool. Yeah, back when they were doing the Savage Hawkman stuff, like, that stuff was really pretty good. So, I mean, this is a different team, but as far as the book's concerned. Yeah, I agree. I, I actually really like the Savage Hawkman at the beginning of the New 52. I think this is going to be more of a return to the classic Hawkman than what we saw with Savage. Hopefully it'll be as, well, hopefully it'll, it'll be as good a story. I was going to say hopefully it'll be received as well, but since it was one of the first cancellations, it wasn't really received very good, yeah, I guess. It wasn't one of the first ones. It was like the, one it was like the, the second or third wave. Yeah, but that was because of Rob, Rob Layfield. It wasn't because the book was doing bad. It was because of his nonsense with Scott Snyder. Mm. Like that whole explosion killed three books that weren't part of the original cancels. It killed Grifter. It killed, uh, Deathstroke and it killed Savage Hawkman mm. because he was connected to all of them at the time. Well, that's true. So, yeah, Grifter is the one that I'm saddest for, to tell you the truth. Well, it was unfortunate, but they were doing some weird stuff in there too, so I kind of yeah, they were kind of making Grifter like Neo. Yeah, as soon as they made him the Chosen One with his ability to like, like slowly move time or whatever. Yeah, it was weird. His telekinesis, kind of. Yeah, was... I liked it, I liked it a lot better when he was like Rugged Ronnie from 
they live, where he could just see the aliens masquerading as people. I thought that was cool. Heck yeah. Um, it's a lot cooler. Less weird chosen one powers and more just, yeah, just, just like they live. Like it's, yeah, yeah, Piper. Awesome. Way cooler. The spin on the outside with the whole telekinesis was weird. Yeah, it was, it was a bad choice. I mean, Grifter really, I think a lot of the reason people liked Grifter was that he didn't have powers. Right. So. There's another one coming down the pipe, and then we can move into books probably. Um, so we recently found out that there's going to be a uh, Plastic Man series being written by Gail Simone. So I think that's freaking awesome. Just huh. cause we think all of us here at the show love Gail Simone because she's great. Yeah, no, I, I I still think Gail Simone's a fantastic writer. Yeah, okay. I, I'm surprised for Plastic Man, but her take on just about everything has been really well done, so... I don't know. I, I can't imagine her not succeeding with him. Right. Well, just, since his whole metal appearance, well, sort of metal appearance, because it was the egg, but then the release of the Terrifics, so I think maybe they're just pushing for another classic sort of Justice Leaguer to have his own series. Yeah, I, mean, I, I guess that's true. I I just, I don't know. Like, for me, Plastic Man's a hard sell. He's like, he's like Metamorpho for most people, like... So I don't know, but, you know, I mean, they're definitely putting solid talent behind it. We'll have to see who they, uh, team her up with. Yeah, I don't, I know that the article said the writer, but, or the artist, but I didn't, I wasn't paying enough attention to remember that. Mm-hmm. Which is my fault. Take that, everyone. <laughs> well, could just, yeah. Uh, any other news you got there, Rob? Anything else you can think of? I mean, I think most, a lot of the other stuff we went over last week and some of it's not necessarily news anymore. I mean, we know the Avengers date got moved up for the movie, so it's coming out the 26th of April now instead of May. That's true. Uh, free comic book day is still the first, first Saturday in May, so it's the week after. So, you know, there's that. Um, I can't think if there's anything else that changed in the middle of that or not. I don't think there was. Agents of Shield's supposed to be getting a new reveal of an old villain. They're supposed to have some new superpowers, I guess, here in the next couple episodes. Hmm. So that's a thing. Finished watching Jessica Jones. That's just my own personal because Jessica Jones came out about two and a half, maybe three weeks ago. The second series. Oh, finished like watching season that two. Previous week. And I, I'm pretty happy with it. I'll give you, like, it's, it's still rougher and you can't, you have to be able to accept this female superhero that kind of acts like a dude because that's kind of what she is. I love Kristen Ritter, so maybe that's part of the problem, but I liked it just fine. Mm. Mixed reviews on that guy, just like everything else. If it's not Daredevil, then no one cares. I, I or the Punisher, or the Punisher. The Punisher was great. So, so yeah, if you haven't got a chance to watch that, you should really tune in because it's. I I think it's awesome, but you know, she's does, a hard drinking lady. Rob, does she have a um, a significant villain in this one? Without like giving I'm, a spoiler, I'm gonna go with no. Okay. I mean, well, I mean, like Purple Man, technically is not su- significant, but I mean. Is significant to her, right? Like so. Oh well, that's, that's what I'm meaning. I'm, I guess connection to her. Yeah, it's a pretty big deal. I mean, if you saw the first season, there's certain things you know about her in general, and then the second season we explore one of those things to have not been true. So it's it's a pretty big deal to the character. I don't know if this is ever something connected in the books or not because I never really read Alias, and the rest of my experiences from her were in team books or in Defender books or in Luke Cage books. So. I don't know if this is something that, that connected to comic books or not, and I haven't researched it by any means. Uh, we still have Patsy Walker in there, so generally I love Patsy. 
because I, I like Hellcat a lot. This show is a little rough for her this season because she makes some pretty questionable choices that make me super mad. Hmm. But, you know, whatever. She married the son of the devil? No, although she did do that in the comics. Yeah. <laughs> and no, no son of the devil, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Unless that turns out to be who that guy was, which I don't think that, I don't think that's the case. Yeah. No, no son of the devil. Didn't, didn't have a name drop? Like, Damien Hellstrom. No. Oh, you know what? Man, is his name Damien? It's not last name Hellstrom, I don't think. Man, maybe. Damn it. That'd be hilarious. Well, her, her other husband wasn't any good for her either, so. I don't Patsy remember. just had bad choices in husbands. Well, yeah, that's what she, that's what she does. Uh, you know, now I don't remember what that guy's name is. I don't think that's who that is, but now that you say that, I'm like, maybe. So I guess everybody, if you decide to watch it, pay attention to whether the guy's name is Damien. Because I kind of think it might be. And if it's Hellstrom, well then, yeah, that's the son of the devil. Awesome. Mm, that would be that would be an interesting take, because they're not going to put him in the NCU, no. I don't think. Take take that, cameos. Man, I don't... Now I'm going to have to go try to watch that tonight. At least one episode with that guy in it, so I can I figure out if it was him. No, no well, yes, but no. Yes, that's what I'll do. Well when we're done, it. I'm going to do that. Only because it's rude to sit here for like the couple minutes it's going to take me to do it and figure it out. That's, that's fine. Or people can IMDb it at home. That's hey, true. Hey, if you guys IMDb it at home, go and email me. Tell me I'm stupid. Okay, maybe not that. Tell me who it is. There you no, go. There you go. That's yeah. better. The other part's not necessary. Let's get the books, Rob. Sure. This is going downhill. Just to let you know, there will be spoilers. <laughs> Rob, you want to tell me a story about Action Comics number 999? Mm-hmm. Action Comics 999 is going to be written by Dan Jurgens with art by Will Conrad. Cool. And actually, I'm a great team, by the way. Oh, yeah. um, and Jurgens, Jurgens is kind of a legend for Superman anyways, along with just being a legend in comics to begin with. Oh, so yeah, for sure, yeah. This particular book has a lot of like touching moments, but it also does something with Superman that I think is very important. A lot of people have a hard time relating to Superman because of all the powers. And they think, like, that's what every story for Superman is, is that he shows up and he does something with his powers and that's it. Which is not the case. No. And this story actually explains that really well, but it also explains that Superman can be fallible. Or at least that he can he can be wrong or he can think... You know, he can have deeper thoughts about what he does, like that he doesn't always make the right choice. Right. What we actually start the story out with is going to the Kent family home, and John is all excited because he's getting to spend some time with his grandfather. And evidently he's come over to do some kind of dinner with them, and it's kind of one of the early times that he's gotten to meet their son. And Lois's dad really wants to kind of have this this heartfelt discussion with Lois before Clark gets there. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of off-putting cuz he calls her calls Clark her husband. We should probably have this talk before your husband shows up. And she's like, "His name is Clark, daddy." And he's like, "Yeah." Yeah, he doesn't even want to like identify with him. Like so we know that he doesn't think much of Clark. I don't think it's necessarily he doesn't think much of Clark. I think it's just that because both of them are so on the side of the thing he's against. Because like he doesn't know the secret of Clark being Superman and the way he looks at it and all the weirdness that he's done as a military guy trying to figure out ways to take Superman out if they need to. 
and here's his daughter and her husband both like cheerleaders for the guy he's trying to figure out a way to stop if somebody needs to stop him. Because you can't trust Superman. I mean, after all, I mean, he might turn on all of us and make us his slaves, a la Injustice, the video game. Which has nothing to do with the regular comic books at all. Absolutely nothing. Sorry, Rob, go on. It's true, you, know, you never can tell. But, I mean, there's been times in the past where she's revealed classified information. And, you know, of course, he took the brunt of that. Well, sure, yeah. Um, I mean, she out, out of that projects her dad was on. Yeah. And so, of course, I mean, yeah, his daughter's the one giving away the secrets and spoiling whatever they were doing. So, of course, that looks bad for him. Well, ultimately, I mean, like, they, they both have really good points. And without him knowing that Clark is Superman... He doesn't have that connection, so he's kind of, he can't just take things on faith, is basically what he was trying to say. And, like, if we can't come to this agreement, then, like, I need to leave, is basically what he was trying to say. Well, yeah, and, like, this whole time that he's arguing with Lois about that, like, John's just sitting there like, come on, guys, we're supposed to be having fun. This is supposed to be a family dinner. Yeah, I just want to have a granddad who isn't isn't crazy Kryptonian. He didn't say that. He doesn't say that. Good job, John. But uh, when we catch up with Superman, he's actually out on a mission for Star Labs to stop this giant asteroid from getting too close to Earth's atmosphere. And while he's doing that, he realizes that the core of this asteroid has a particular mineral in it, a mineral that when it comes into Earth's atmosphere will become incredibly dense, incredibly strong, strong enough that it can even cause him a problem. And so we start finding out that Superman has another plan for what's inside this asteroid. And it's related to what's happened in the last few issues. A lot of what he's thinking about is whether or not the Phantom Zone is a humane jail. Because the idea was that like the Phantom Zone would be the ultimate prison there's no escape from. But there's no rehabilitation in the Phantom Zone. And it can actually just be this impressive environment that can actually make you worse, sort of, than you were when you went in? Well, oppressive. I mean, it's yeah, basically a oppressive. giant white zone with nothing else in it. So, yeah, you're, it's a, it's a, it's a horrible sentence, but as far as like making more crazy because you're surrounded by a void of nothing, well, yeah, it'd drive a person mad easy. Well, and I mean, the only other people that are in there are the worst of the worst as well. So, you know, are you going to get any better? Probably not. He sees firsthand how that can be detrimental in these last few stories, dealing with Zod and Zod's son. his son. Yeah. yeah. And so he starts thinking, like, this might not be the answer that I thought it was. And so he actually winds up constructing a private cell out of this material and starts kind of thinking, like, what if Hank Henshaw is the next big problem because of the Phantom Zone? What if by putting him in there, he never learns to be better? He just continues to be a problem until it's too late. And so he decides to let him out under the condition that Hank will basically stay in the cell that he's created for him. And it's actually pretty cool because when he opens it, like we have this whole tussle with Hank and him, and we kind of get a really good... Uh, understanding of who Cyborg Superman was before he was Hank Henshaw. Or, I'm sorry, before... We get a good understanding of who Hank Henshaw was before he was Cyborg Superman and the road that led him to his madness. And we get that Superman realizes, like, he can't be redeemed. 
but he doesn't have to be who he is. He doesn't have to be this this villain, and he doesn't have to be forever locked away in the in the Phantom Zone. And so, in this new prison that he's created for him, he actually has um, kind of this Kryptonian hollow device. He's got one of the crystals that the same crystal that Superman used to be able to see his family and relive pieces from Krypton. He's hooked up in a way to where Hinshaw can use it to relive his life with his friends before the accident. So like family dinners, happy times in your life. So things that Hank would never get back all the time before he was Cyborg Superman, he'll be able to basically relive relive that stuff. And yeah, he's in a prison cell, but the prison cell itself isn't, I mean, it's not devoid of anything else. And because he's, basically a robot. I mean, he's half robot, half person, I guess. So, like, he'll age, whereas in the Phantom Zone, he would never age. And as far as the robot parts are concerned, well, while he's reliving the experiences, it's like, completely transports you visually and mentally. So, the entire time he's in those memories, it's not like he's staring at a blank wall. So, interesting setup, and while he's talking to him during the fight, trying to get him to calm down and explain to him, yeah, I don't want you to be where you were. Yeah, you're right. You can't be out because you're, you're a threat and menace to society, but this will help you. And so, like, it kind of reluctantly leads Hank to fall into it. Which, I don't know. Is it more humane? I'm going to say yes. But at the same time, I mean, it is still kind of messed up. Yeah, it's a, it's a dangerous situation because, I mean, he's, he's reintroducing Hank Henshaw, who is a very dangerous Superman villain back into our reality. But at the same time, like we know Zod has become what he has become because of his time in the fam zone. And like it's it's not corrected him. He's he's only gotten worse. Right. In his time there. But it was a really neat story, and it was a very introspective story in that regard for, for the Hank Henshaw part. Right. And it follows back around to having Kent meet up with Lois's father before he storms out because they, they can't he can't get along with Lois. They can't come to any, you know, understanding. And once again, we see another another part of who Superman is that I think is is pretty important because I mean, like he he really he doesn't have any reason to like General Lang, but for his family, he wants to. Right. And he finds a way to diffuse that situation, bring them back in, and put them all kind of on a level playing field. While still not going like, hey, I'm Superman, just get over this fear or whatever. Right. But I mean, it's just, it's such a well-told story. And I think it's, like, a lot of the reason it really resonated with me as such a great story was that it's not, it's not about his powers. No. It's It's just about who Superman is. Right, it's got a lot of heart to it. Yeah. Score for the book, Rob? Um, I give it a three and a half. I really enjoyed it. You know, I, I like this artist. Uh, Jurgens is a fantastic writer. I enjoy his run for Superman. I just, I, I was very happy with, with where they went with it. So, yeah, three and a half. Cool. Uh, score wise, you know, I give it a four. I mean, it's, it's really got a lot of, like, family element to it. And so, like, the whole thing in space and Superman being smart and him trying to decide, which edge of the blade to be on with the Hale Hank Henshaw thing, I think that's all awesome. And I think the whole, the closing of it, like, 
reasons to bring family together, that kind of stuff is great. So, I don't know. For the kind of story it is and the book that it was, I give it a four. I mean, I like the art just fine. There are other artists I like better, but as far as the story is concerned and the art, is, it's all good. So, yeah, I give it a four. That's it. If you don't understand Superman, read this book, and hopefully that helps you figure it out. Yeah. Because, like, the only reason most people, most people are like, oh, I'm weird because I don't like Superman. No, no, no. You're just like everybody else. There's a whole pile of you, and it's, like, way bigger than the pile of people that like him. And y'all have the same reason. Oh, he's got too many powers. Then I got to wonder, well, did you ever read a Superman book? I mean, yeah, he's got a lot of power, so I can't defuse that because it's true. But at the same time, it's a matter of balance. Like, how do you use that and not just smash the heads of every single person? You know, like, how, what do you do to be better than someone with all the power in the world? So, like, I think this issue really demonstrates that really well. So, anyhow, that, there's that for things with that. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree. I, right? I think the best stories for Superman are the stories that it's not about his power. No, agree, agreed. Agreed. I think that's, yeah, that's a good point. Um, so let's see, you want, want to go over some, uh, X-Men Blue? Yeah. So yeah, this I, is uh, X-Men Blue number 23. I, I'm not going to lie. Like, I was, I, I have not been as sold on X-Men Blue as I was when it was the all-new X-Men. And uh, I I think this is turning me around. Like, I, I really, I'm, I'm pretty impressed with it. So X-Men Blue has actually been covering a lot of ground. And I think they've actually even been doing it a little better than the all new X-Men storyline before this. So we've got Colin Bunn doing the writing and then we got George Molina, George Molina. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would have messed up that last name. I'm sorry. <laughs> doing, doing the artwork for it, which great team, honestly, really, really like it. This particular issue is beginning a new mini called cry havoc or a new arc. I should say called cry havoc. Right. And where it picks up, like we start out in Madripoor which apparently there's an X-Men mansion in Madripoor. If you didn't know, now you know. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. A secret X-Mansion run by Magneto. Well, of course. It's got to be secret as Magneto. Most of the cast that you might think is going to be in blue is missing. So the original X-Men are lost in action, and so we actually have kind of the, the support team that is making up the, the the majority of the roster. So we got um, Polaris running around kind of trying to field everything. We got Bloodstorm and James Hallett, or Jimmy Hallett. I'm sorry, it's Jimmy. James, James Jimmy, yeah. It's Jimmy. It's Wolverine's son from the Ultimate Universe. Yeah, which is... He's crazy. Yeah. Although, he's, he's starting to grow on me. So, but while they're looking for the original X-Men, of course, things don't stop, right? Everything's got to keep going. So we start hearing about an attack going on in the Mojave Desert. Along with that, we wind up having a group of ninjas infiltrate the base in Matapur, which winds up being something that, that uh, Polaris? Polaris has to deal with. I keep getting, trying to put an M name in there. Along with that, Magneto has a few things he wants to achieve. So we got everybody running around all over the place. In the midst of that, we catch up with Havoc and the White Queen, who made some strange bedfellows with a very familiar sentinel and uh, a pretty nasty ex-villain that's been kind of on the back burner for a while, a uh, 
Miss Sinister. Yeah, we haven't seen her in a while. Yeah. But we find out that they have a plan to save the mutant race. But to do it, things are not going to go well at first. And everybody's got kind of their own plan. So you have this whole subplot with multiple villains that are all scheming for their own ends to maybe, like, save mutant kind or control mutant kind or destroy all the mutant kind. Or all three things. Or all three things at the same time. <laughs> We're also learning that secondary mutations might not be just by chance. There may be actually a science to the secondary mutations. So for people who aren't familiar with that, that would be like Emma Frost getting the diamond skin. Right. That appeared later on. Um, along with that, the trouble in the Mojave winds up actually being a new group of marauders showing up who are also renegades from the Ultimate Universe. That's kind of where I almost have to end it because there's three really big reveals in this book. Right, there that if you yeah. That if you were X-Fans, you're going to be like, what? What the hell? And, like, one of them isn't even, like, the, the Sentinel thing that I didn't reveal. Like, there's... The, the things that are happening are all building up to be really big arcs. So this Cry Havoc arc is going to be a big deal, I think. Uh, along with that, they're getting ready to like kind of bring out a new group for Blue for a little while. But it's really going to be, it's, it's really going to be an interesting ride for this miniseries. Right. Or I'm sorry, for this arc. Well, this arc of the story, yeah. It's, it's definitely progressed uh, quite a bit. And, like, something you should take in mind that I don't think is a spoiler, really, mm. is, like, the reason Havoc's being the way Havoc's being is because he's he's still affected by what happened during Axis. Yeah, does, does anybody so, remember Axis? Well, Cause, they, cause, they might not. Because you probably should, even though it was not a major thing. Right. And it still has impacts. So, I mean, there is a level of continuity that they're following. Well, yeah, his whole place in the world, working with Emma... And basically leading this whole, we're going to double cross everybody, is simply because he's, I mean, in Access, basically Havoc got turned evil by something that happened. And so, mentally, he's still not well. He's not the Havoc we're used to. He's not, I mean, power-wise, yeah, but, like, brain position or, like, I don't know where he is mentally, not the same. And that leads to a lot of what he's doing being, like, questionable. It's true. But yeah, there's there's at least three big reveals just in this issue. In yeah. this issue, yeah, and that doesn't even count the stuff that happened in the past two issues. Like, yeah. it's crazy. W- whatever they're ramping up for in this, it's going to be big. And I mean, just for a second, like Colin Bunn is pretty amazing. Oh, yeah, he's a good writer he's, for he's sure. A gr- yeah, he's a really good writer. But he, the amount of work that he puts out is impressive. Because as far as I understand, he still has another job. But he writes like two or three books every week, every month, I think. Well, every month coming yeah, out from Marvel. Gonna... So, like, he's got a huge slate to fill, and I think he's doing a fantastic job. So, if you haven't been following Bun as a writer, like, you might take a look at him because he's doing some really good stuff. Well, yeah, and even when he's back over at DC, I think the only arc that, only stuff he really did in DC that was questionable was the Aquaman stuff, and he was put on that and didn't want to be on it. That's true. So, like, and it wasn't horrible, it just, it was a little questionable. But yeah, he's fantastic. Like writer wise, dude's good. And I mean, I, it's, it's hard for me to not say how much I dislike Jimmy. 
and I'm kind of starting to like him in this. <laughs> you know, like, so they're, they're doing something right. Like if, if there's a character that you just fundamentally don't like and all of a sudden you're kind of like, yeah, yeah, no, Jimmy's not so bad. Like, that's pretty good. No, that's true. But at least for me, because I'm like, you know that I am very sensitive to the Jimmy situation. Like I, I don't. No, no, yeah, we've talked about it. I don't care about him. For multiple reasons. Um, but score wise, like I give the book a three and a half. Uh, the writing's great. The art is great. Um, as far as things happening, there's a lot of crazy reveal stuff. Like, just so much, actually. Like, it's really good. So, yeah, three and a half. Um, Rob, you want to score that book? I mean, sadly, I'm going to be doing, like, the same thing that we did just a minute ago with action. So, <laughs> I'm going to go four. Uh, I really like the artwork for it. I'm really interested in if they're going to use any of these ninja characters again. But the reveals for me as an X-Fan were so big that I'm super excited to see where that's going. So like, I've, I've, it's, it's now become like one of the more like exciting X titles for me. Like I got at least three of them right now that have just, every time they come out, I got to read it right when it comes out. So right on. That's a, I think that's a pretty good score. Um, all right. So move on to what, let's go ahead. Yeah, all right. So let's go and move on to Sea of Thieves. Uh, this is issue one from Titan Comics. Uh, right on this guy is Jeremy Whit- Whitley, and the artist on it is Roland Marcellus. Um, and the way I understand this, this is connected to, uh, there's a video game called Sea of Thieves. Um, don't really know much about it. It's a pirate game, so. It's actually getting pretty close to launch. It's, um, in early access, I think, still. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so it's a pirate book. Uh, when we first start out, uh, we open up with the two, two characters outside of a, outside of a bar. Discussing their entry into the bar, and uh, our main character, Demarco, is a guy with a really big beard. I mean, he's dressed in kind of like a aristocratic kind of pirate gear. It's almost like he's not necessarily a pirate pirate, but a fancy pirate. Anyway, um, he's <laughs> and uh, he's hanging out with uh, this girl named Ren, who is supposed to be the best sharpshooter ever. And apparently, he owes Ren some money, and uh, he's promised Ren part of the take on the next adventure he's got because he's been given a he was summoned to meet at this bar at 9 o'clock to get a map to the Sea of Thieves, which is supposed to be where his father went and collected all of his riches and came back, and then it went back for more riches, and then at that point never showed back up. He's here, and he, he had to bring his father's compass in order to prove who he was to get the map from said invitee. And, of course, Ren's super pissed at him, mostly because he owes her money, and, yeah, she's been promised part of the take of this possible treasure, this possible journey on this possible map, which doesn't really make her very happy. And uh, she's pretty sure they were supposed to be there at 8. Anyhow, so they go to the bar, and, of course, he's trying to show off. And it turns out this bar is called the uh, the Unfired Gun, I think is what they call it. Oh, Unfired, excuse me, the Unfired Pistol. It's the same idea, but piratey. More piratey, yeah. Right. And uh, when we join inside the bar, there's a whole bunch of people already there. Um, we got a girl playing with a knife, like stabbing between her fingers, betting for money, and a couple other folks in there drinking and hanging out. And of course, he uh, he calls the uh, barmaid over and tries to show off that uh, who he is. And when she recognizes him, she's like, "Oh, hey, I can't believe it's you. We haven't seen you forever, Demarco." And he's like, "Oh yeah, it's good to see you." And so she sits down in his lap, all like girlfriend style. And as she's talking to him, she's like, "Oh, so is this your lady?" And uh, Ren's like, no. And if I was, why are you sitting in his lap? He's like, oh, don't worry. We're old, old friends. And she's like, oh, drinks are free for for, for DeMarco and any of his friends, even if they are rude and snippy. 
And so, like, off she goes to fetch them drinks. And we meet a couple of other players in the bar. The girl stabbed between her fingers with a knife. And she's really, really good at it. Gets called out for cheating. And uh, she stabs the hell of the guy's hand, which is pretty impressive. Of course, we do find out a bit later in the book that uh, the knife she's using has a switch to keep the blade in. Or it's a retractable blade. So it doesn't matter if she hits herself or not, because uh, the retractable blade doesn't let her get cut. Unless she holds the point in order to stab somebody with it, which is just completely dirty. Anyhow, so then we meet another pirate uh, lady. This is, uh, she's uh, kind of like a, not really a bard, but uh, her name is Mel Silvertongue. And so what she does is she basically sings or performs for the folks in the bar. And the entire time that's going on, um, our knife girl goes around and collects and steals everybody's money. Which, you know, seems like pirate stuff. So fast forward a little farther, we want to bump into a couple other characters, and I'm sure are going to be main characters in the next couple issues. We meet a particular fella who's dressed like he's part of the royal military, but everything he does is very green, and both the girls actually make fun of him for being kind of green and unexperienced. And even the knife girl, after she steals his money, gives it back to him. She's like, it's not any fun if, if, you, if you don't even notice. And he's like, oh, well, I had no idea. Anyway, that leads to... uh our minstrel explaining what they're doing there in her little song, and she talks about how they're there for a mysterical map. And it turns out that DeMarco's sister was also invited to the bar to pick up the same map from the same man, but has a different trinket she's supposed to trade. So that's when uh, our girl, Rin, realizes that you need to be upstairs, DeMarco, because uh, clearly your sister's already here getting the map. And so off he runs to try to join the party, and we meet a couple other characters between A and B, and we get some show-off of Rin's target accuracy. We also find out the main reason the bar is what it is. It's got a mystical, uh, not really curse, but enchantment on it to where gunfire won't work in the bar. So, like, if you pull the trigger, the the, the lighter or the uh, powder won't ignite. And uh, so Rin instead takes to throw in pellets at everybody, like bullet pellets. And uh, she's really good. She's kind of a badass. And then we meet uh, the sister, and she's, like, full-on pirate. Like, the way she's dressed is, like, Johnny Depp except with an eye patch. And a girl, of course. And she proves to be kind of awesome. Collects the map, and uh, DeMarco shows up, and it turns out there was two maps. However, DeMarco was supposed to trade the man a compass that was a special compass his father had. And she pickpocketed the compass, so DeMarco has to default to chasing them. Um, of course, we have a little realignment of characters. Um, from there, I guess I'll, I'll go ahead and let the end be more of a mystery. I mean, and it, it's going to be a chase book, so I mean, I, you should, that should be expected at the beginning. But the way the characters play together is really pretty cool. The art is pretty fun. It's a four-part miniseries, so I guess we'll see. And being the game isn't out, I don't know. Because what I understand about the game is that apparently you build your own character and then you journey to the Sea of Thieves and... From there, I guess, battle pirates or other pirates or online pirates or other people online as pirates. That's pretty much what I understand. You're going to be your own custom pirate, and your adventure is going to be kind of just all tailored to how you play. You're going to run into other people playing as pirates online, along with a few um, NPC pirates or whatever. But your story is pretty much going to be your own. You You pick up missions, you carry stuff, you try to keep people from raiding your ship or you raid other people's ships and steal their stuff. So it at this point, it doesn't sound like there's a very established story. So this could be a very unique experience. Spins that's just connected book. to it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think that's what it's going to be too. Because from what little bit we know about the game, there's like you said, there's not a whole lot of NPC story. Yeah. So at least so far. Well, yeah. Right. I mean, Grand, the game isn't out yet. Yeah. It's still beta or whatever. So. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 close. It's getting there. It's evidently rare. Is the company that's making it, which you know Ross is a big fan of Rare, right? But they're the guys who made like Banjo Kazooie and stuff. So this game seems a little bit more serious than that. But the book is pretty unique. Like, it's fun. It's yeah. I mean, it's fun. Like the art's fun. The the reading of it is fun. I mean the characters are all very flamboyant. So I mean that's fun. Uh, as far as like a score, I mean I give it a two and a half. I, the art's a little more f- silly than what I normally like. But it's not, it's not bad. I mean, the art's good. It's just, it's like, a, it's like a fun book. And usually I like a little more technical, ooh, Jim Lee lines everywhere. And this is more fun, like, I don't know, kind of like anime, but not really anime, I guess. I don't know how to describe it really. But it's, it's fun. It's good. I mean, I, I don't know. I, they say I'd give it two and a half. I'm going to stop talking. Rob, go. Uh, I, I'd follow suit. I, I think I would give it a three. What's appealing to me is that it, it does feel like it's not going to be the game story, so you're getting a unique take on this. And, you know, I'm, all the people who really like pirate stuff, this is a really fun story that also kind of introduces you to that world. So, right. I can go with that. Yeah. And it's a four-part, so, I mean, really, it's not like you're getting invested for a whole lot. Right, that's true. All right. Uh, well, let's move on to uh, the uh, Vertigo Deathbed. Yes. This is also an issue number one. So hopefully I won't mess these names up too bad, but uh, we're having Joshua Wils- Williamson as the writer and Riley Rosmo? Ros- Ros- Rosmo? Rosmo as the artist, which I've seen Rosmo on other stuff I know I have, and just he's got a really unique style. Right. He did Deathbed for, uh, or not Deathbed. Uh, he's doing Deathbed right now? No. Well, yeah, he is. Um Man, the book was in my head just a second ago, and now I'm having trouble remembering what it was. It's an image book that had a serial killer who was... Bedlam. There you go, Bedlam. He was doing Bedlam, yeah. Man, there you go. That took a long time for me to remember. Well, he's, he, got, he's got a really unique style. Oh, yeah. You'll, you'll definitely recognize it once you start seeing it. So, the character that we're first introduced to is Valentina Richards. Valentina Richards has had a lot of things that she wanted to do in her life. But the one thing above all else was be a writer. And things have just kind of gotten in the way. And so instead of really being the writer that she wants to be, she's become kind of a ghostwriter. She's somebody who does people's um, memoirs or their unofficial life histories and so on. And so she hasn't been really writing the way that she wants to write. The other downside is, she hasn't really been putting out a whole lot of her own material either. And so when we catch up with her, she's kind of at a low point. And she's being called by her editor to do the autobiography for Anton Lunin. And she's kind of wanting to tell him, like, no, nah, I don't want to do this. You know, like, I'm going to go off on my own. I got my own first chapter book going. And they're like, yeah, you probably should take this. Because you might not have a job soon. Right. No, no. You need to do this. Yeah. From there, we start We start really experiencing this life that's just bigger than reality. We're whisked away to like this old kind of country estate. 
and she's trying to do history on the guy, and she's find, she finds nothing. He has no digital footprint. And she's like, oh, that's almost impossible anymore. How can you possibly not have, you know, history about you out there? When she makes it to the, the manor house, she's greeted by these, like, pretty stereotypical maid and butler type. And as soon as you get inside, you have, like, crazy Chinese bells hanging from the roof, giant foodog, Chinese lion statues, crazy rugs from different parts of the world, this uh, English chair. And, like, just everything is hodgepodge together from a life that's too big to be real. And as she tries to get information from uh, the the maid, she's carted past these enormous paintings of Luma, or Anton, as as, like, different styles of adventurers. So, like, wrestling a sea monster out on the deck of a boat, being some kind of, like, jungle hippie with a whole family commune, to being a Vietnam vet soldier, to being an Amazon adventurer. And, like, these seem to be all the same guy. And she's trying to get all this dirt on the maid, and the maid basically, like, is giving her a stonewall as if she doesn't really know anything that he's talking, she's talking about. When we finally meet Anton, he's in his deathbed, literally. He's got machines hooked up around him, all these doctors around him. And as soon as he questions her about, like, who she is, he demands that they all leave. Because they're all just waiting to be put in his, uh, his will. They're all just hanger-ons and vultures, and they need to get out of there. And we get a lot of the stories being told from her point of view. And so we get a lot of, like, the influx of what she's thinking while these things are taking place. And so she's kind of trying to get information out of him, like, about where he's come from and, and who he was and why he wants to have his, uh, his his history written down, his memoirs. And he's not interested in talking to her about that. He wants to know about her, like, why she does what she does, why she's in this position. And as she's about to get fed up with him, like, we have this whole moment where we see lightning crash around the deathbed, and there's, like, mummies and ninjas and dried-up hawkmen waiting in the shadows. And we sort of see that, and then we just continue the story, and the lightning strikes again, and they all have knives and stuff, and there's things crawling on the roof. And as soon as he kind of finishes grilling her, he tells her, like, I've done everything in my life. I've never had anything that I've regretted. And she's like, oh, that's not possible. And he's like, no. Every time I've done something in my life and it got too easy, I just destroyed it and started again. I've lived more lives than most people ever will. And now that I can hear death coming, I'm going to make sure that my story lives on forever. And like, as soon as uh, she's kind of like, really? Like, this is who you are? He like throws off the bed sheet to reveal he's got like a machete and a machine gun. And just starts attacking all these crazy things that are in the shadows. Just tearing them apart and as like blood flies all over the place. She's like, oh my god, I've never been this alive in my life. Like this is, this is what inspired me to be a writer to start with. Is this crazy large life legend that I'm seeing right now in front of me. Forget the fact that he has no pants on. Yeah, no, he's totally naked. <laughs> Save for a belt to hold more knives. Well, of course, you can't take out the belt. Yeah. Um, and from there, it kind of, it gets even a little bit more surreal as we wind up finding out what the meat of this story is going to be. Basically, like, if you haven't ever seen, like, the, the amazing stories of Baron von Munchausen, 
Right, yeah. This is a lot of what I feel like this guy is, is that he wants his story to live on, that he's like this epic, larger-than-life kind of character that cares more about his story being alive than the people around him or even himself. And he may actually be facing death this time. He may actually be sick. We don't know. Because he kind of makes points of being like, I lied to you earlier. And then he talks about still coughing and like hearing death's hoofsteps. But his story is what's important to him. And it's what's kind of important to her. And so as this series goes on, I think what we're really going to be learning is what is a story? Can a story be bigger than a person? Can a story make you better? Can, or, or can you, can you be bigger than life? Right. In a story? Um, and there's, there's a bit at the end, of course, that we left, but like, I don't know, I probably should have held back that like he destroys all the things in the room, but like, it was such a like, holy crap moment when I was reading it. Well, and the catch at the end, I mean, that's, that's like a small piece to that whole thing. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a little bit more in that we find out the stakes are so dire. Right. But what we really learn is, like, what he values. And it's not a traditional hero kind of thing. He's not probably a traditional hero at all. He seems to be more concerned with, at this point, his story. And that's kind of a unique take, I, I think, for for a comic. Well, aside from, you know, of course, the Baron Munchausen comic adaption or whatever. Sure, but yeah. I actually... I was very impressed with it. Like it was one I, I didn't initially come to, and I'm pretty glad I did at this point. So, I'd say Deathbed. I, I'd say 4.5. I was actually really impressed with it. It has a great visual way of telling a story. Um, I like that we, I, I think that the thought bubble is something that comics have gotten away from, and I think it's kind of sad because you don't get as much perception of what the characters are actually thinking. And so I think that's actually a great part for this story is that we write around exclusively in her head. And so getting to see her reaction to this larger-than-life character is fantastic to me. Heck, yeah. Um, yeah, score-wise, I give it a four. I mean, the art the art is fantastic. As far as the story, I mean, yeah, it's a really cool setup. Um, Josh Williamson, yeah, you should know him from Flash and from Birthright and a pile of other things he's written. Like, Xenoholics. So, like, the dude's getting around, and, like, his five stories have been good, too. So, like, as far as stories, I mean, it's an interesting story. We know it's a miniseries, but, yeah, like, the character himself, like, just the way they have him drawn on the cover where he's in, he's in, like, his classic adventurous suit is freaking awesome. Yeah, I, I was, I was pleasantly surprised. I really didn't originally come to this, and was, was pretty happy with it. Now, he does have a very wild art style. But I think, once again, it was a great choice because, like, it really fits the story. Heck yeah. It's good stuff, man. All right, let's move on to the, uh, New Mutants Dead Souls. Man, that was, that's hard to say that time. I, yeah. Sorry about that. Um, anyhow, so this is a, uh, this is a five part miniseries. It's written by Matthew Rosenberg and the artist is, uh, Adam Goran, Gorhan. And, uh, so cast-wise, I mean, if you know the old New Mutants, a couple of these guys were around during that time's batch of stories, but it's not a traditional New Mutants cast. Um, as far as people, like, our cast consists of Richter, uh, Boom Boom, Magic, uh, Ileana, so Klaus's sister, 
Strong Guy, and Wolfsbane. I mean, they're our main characters through the book. Yeah, we got a couple other characters that show up middle and end, but yeah, they're the main cast. And like where we pick up in the book, like the very start of it, um, we we open up to the aftermath of a hurricane and a man counting bodies. And at one point, we see one of the body bags move. Of course, that leads to him being like, oh, we need a medic over here. I think I got a live one. And then some unseen force gets a hold of him and, uh, well, we assume kills him. I mean, he goes down screaming. So it's, yeah, it's pretty, it's bad. And then we cut straight to there from there right to 18 hours later. And this is when our cast shows up. Um, Ileana, one of her powers is teleporting. So if you weren't aware of that, now you know. No, he's out the battle. Yeah. Now she's she's got a whole slew of, of powers. Oh yeah, she does. But yeah, teleporting teleporting is actually her mutant ability, strangely enough. Right. Mm. Well, yeah, she's she's been through the ringer. Like, there's a lot of there's a lot going on with Ileana. Yes, there is. Um, so we join the cast and they're uh, walking through what's left of this town after the hurricane, and whatnot. And uh, Strong Guy's carrying a kitten, and uh, the group's trying to decide what to do with the kitten because Strong Guy wants to keep it because it's very cute. And Richter thinks that they should get rid of the cat. And Ileana's of the opinion that she doesn't care. So it comes down to a group vote what to do with the cat. And Strong Guy's like, well, we can't leave it. It's a kitten. Its owner's probably dead. It can't take care of itself. And so Ileana decides to show off one of her other powers. Um, she takes the cat and then... She dips it into limbo. Right. Where time doesn't quite operate mm-hmm. the same way it, it operates here. Right. And then when she pulls it out, it's a full-grown cat. And she's like, well, now it's a cat. So, you know, argument's over. And, of course, Strong Guy's like, oh. And everybody else is like, her powers to age things? That doesn't make any sense. When did that happen? But Limbo doesn't work the same for everything. I mean, Liliana lived in Limbo for years and was kind of the queen of hell there for a little while. So, yeah, it doesn't really work the same way there. Anyhow, uh, so that's like the probably the weirdest part of the opening. And then uh, Strong Guy is alerted to uh, something moving around underneath a batch of rubble. So him and uh, Wolfsbane go over there to just check it out. And he lifts up the giant piece of the f- top of the house. And there's a whole bunch of kids underneath there. And, of course, they freak out. And they're like, oh, run for the monsters. The monsters are going to get us. Oh, and, of course, Wolfsbane, well, she looks like a werewolf. So, okay. The Strong Guy looks like just like a really big dude. You know, maybe a golem, I guess, but a really big dude. Anyway, the kids run like scared from monsters. And of course, both of them are like, well, that's weird. And, uh, about that time, we have, uh, something approach behind Ileana. And like, we get a shot of its face and it looks very zombie-esque. And so she beheads it with uh, her magic sword. And of course, the group's like, whoa, shouldn't sneak up in Ileana. And then, of course, a couple of the other ones are like, well, did you see its face? It looks like, looks like Walking Dead. And there's actually a joke in there about, Walking Dead being a comic book and a TV show, and it's a silly, it's a silly little joke. You mean they made a comic book off that TV show? That's weird. Anyway, um, but from there we wind up encountering some normal folk, like hillbilly style, and Richter catches a bottle to the head, which in my head is hilarious, but it's not meant to be. Um, and these town folk have decided to come after them because they assume they're monsters as well. Well, of course, our group doesn't necessarily respond well to that because they don't like being chased after or called monsters and basically be attacked with pitchforks. Um, that leads to them fighting with the the town folk a little bit till they subdue a bunch of them. And they're like, what are you guys talking about? What is going on? They're like, oh, we thought you were part of the monsters. And they're like, uh, what monsters? Well, 
and they sort of explain, sort of, that the dead from the hurricane all basically came back from the dead and started killing people in the town. So, yeah, like Walking Dead style. So the town folk inform them that some of the, uh, some of the workers from the Hachi Corporation, the group that was there setting up trailers and trying to, I don't know, basically save who was left alive, had hidden inside the trailers and so they should have survived. So the team decides to go and locate those folks. Um, in the process of that, we wind up finding one guy who tries to shoot strong, well, he does shoot strong guy, then straight up in the chest with a shotgun. But strong guy, he's of particular durability. So it doesn't really do anything to him. But he's like, what are you doing, guy? He's like, oh, I thought you were a monster. Oh. And then he's like, oh, did the, the hatchet company send you? And of course they're like, yeah, no, no. We're, we're here to try to help people. It's not. So they don't actually admit to who they're with, uh, really. Um, but of course that leads to, uh, well, there's a couple of pieces in the middle that, that happen as well from that. Eventually, like, they start questioning him about the bodies. He's like, oh, I don't know anything about them. And we wind up finding one particular body that hasn't moved at all from the whole pasture of what were body bags. And it's, uh, an old lady that looks like a gypsy. And Magic goes over and she kind of co- closes the lady's eyes. And about that time, a whole herd of undead show up again. And, uh, that leads our team to suit up. Yeah, so they all get their new mutants gear on, and there's some debate about like, oh, I thought we were gonna be big heroes, and they're like, well, just this one time, <laughs> right. we'll be superheroes again. Yeah, because whenever Strong Guy was saving the people, he's like, this got to be while we're here, and Magic's like, no, no, that's not what we're here for. We're not heroes. He's like, but the X Men save people, and she's like, no, no, we're not X Men. We're not X Men anymore either. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so we get a whole X attack mute uh, zombie throwdown. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Where we got everybody fighting against zombies, and Richter's, like, tearing up the ground, and we see Boom Boom blowing things up, and Strong Guy's fighting or whatever. And by a quarter way through it, they realize that they're going to get overrun. There's just too many of the undead to, to deal with. And so Ileana checks out, steps through this uh, teleporter, or steps through her teleporting disc. And the rest of the team's like, what the heck's going on? Like, she just left us. And Rector's like, yeah, let's go, let's, let's just face this down like the Alamo. We're gonna stand here and we're gonna win it. And I think Boom Boom's like, you remember we lost the Alamo. And he's like, yeah, you remember? I'm Mexican. <laughs> it's pretty funny, actually. <laughs> but, uh, pretty quickly, Ileana comes back and she's brought with her, like, this demonic version of the old lady that we saw earlier. Yeah, she's got, of- like, fire coming out of her eyes and shit. She's like a she's like a form of, like a swarm of flies. It's crazy. The, the flies actually wind up reanimating her corpse. And it rises up with like kind of necromantic power or whatever all around it. And uh Ileana goes to the Hatchy foreman, the guy that they that shot strong guy earlier. He's like you need to return what you took from this woman. And he's like, what do, you, what do you mean? I didn't take anything. He's like, we don't have time for this. Just give it back. And he winds up having this ring on a necklace that he had took from her. And when he gives it back to her, all the zombies lay down and go back to go back to their, their place of rest or whatever. And the foreman guy's like, I didn't even remember taking it. It's so weird. And, she, and Ileana's like, well, you need to apologize to her for what you did. It's like, well, okay, I guess. And then as as this uh, entity now walks off with the ring, he's like, what, you're just going to let her go? 
Like, she's responsible for killing all these people. And, and I was like, well, no, you're responsible for doing this. You're the one who caused this thing to happen by taking that ring. So all this damage is on your head, actually. Right. Dirty grave robber. Teleports away. Uh, after that, we actually catch up with them back in their headquarters. And we wind up finding out that uh, Xian or Karma is actually the one who's heading this whole group, which is another old New Mutant character. But she evidently founded this corporation, the Hatchi Corporation. Right. And she's using this group of New Mutants as her paranormal investigating unit, basically. And so they're, they're not really sure exactly what Karma's goals are for them. But Karma's basically saying, like, you're here to, to investigate these kind of, these outings. And I want to keep you around for that. But I want you to take things more seriously. And like half the group's like, well, why did you take us then then? Because not, most of these characters are not the most well behaved or the most serious taking adventurers. Right. And she talks about like other people that she talked to and that these were the only ones who showed up. Yeah. You're the only ones that weren't busy. Yeah. Uh, we also reveal that Prodigy is, is a part of this group as well, although he's not an active member. He's evidently the one who collates the information and, like, sends them on their missions, I guess. Yeah, well, Prodigy was a super smart, and even though he's not a mutant anymore, he's still super smart. Yeah. So, at some point, he lost his mutant powers. Where? Don't know. Yeah, basically, Prodigy's whole thing was that he would be able to originally temporarily copy somebody else's special skills. Throughout his story, that became permanent. He was able to permanently take on everybody's skills. And so basically, he has most of the brain trust of the X-Men in his head. I don't know when he stopped being a mutant, but in theory, he still has all that experience. Right, he's still supposed to be super smart, so yeah. yeah. But we wrap it up with uh, another tale of crazy, like... uh, paranormal activity that the uh, the team is going to be sent on. Yeah, the next the in catch is what the next mission is going to be, what the next outing is and whether that connects to the last outing or not, I mean, we have no idea, but the the mystery at this one, so it's almost x file I mean, it kind of reminds me of whenever X-Factor was trying to be the detective agency, mm-hmm. is what it reminds me of. So, I don't know, I thought that was pretty fun, but I, I really dig X-File stuff, so uh, score-wise, um, I give it a three and a half, I mean, it was fun. And the art's pretty decent. And as far as like mystery story out of nowhere, that's pretty much what it is. I mean, I like this idea of this chase of the mystical. So I'm excited to see where it, where the thing goes and whether these all come back to be one big kind of mystery. But the next mystery seems super interesting. <laughs> Just, I mean, we get the introduction to it, but I'm like, man, I, I would like that mission better. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I'm pretty excited for the next issue actually. I mean, they're fun characters, and yeah, they are a bunch of, like, I don't know, not your first-class choices for a character, or for if you're going to pick a, an X-Men team, most of these would not be on the top of your list. It's true. Simply because they have odd powers, they fit oddly, they're all kind of smart-asses, they're all kind of, like, they're, they're not stumble-bumbles by any means, but, like, they're like the, the group you'd leave at home unless you don't have any other choice. I mean, Ileana gets into plenty of trouble just being weird. So, I mean, there's that. Anyhow, um, and like, of the group of them, she's been the queen of hell. Um, Strong Guy's been the king of hell at one point. Uh, Wolfsbane had a son who was destined to be the king of hell. So, like, it's a weird group, man. 
Yeah, you have a lot of broken characters in this one. Like, it's odd when you say, like, Boom Boom and Richter are the most normal. <laughs> right. Of the group. Weird. So. But yeah, I give it a three and a half. I, you know. Rob, score for the book. Uh, it's gonna be odd because, I mean, it's next title. I think I give it a three. I did actually enjoy the story. I think, I think it's a fun take bringing them in for this. And, and like you said, it, it does have shades of the X Factor investigation group. I was kind of sad when I learned that it was going to be a mini, but at the same time, that may actually like cater to a stronger story. I'm happy with it. I think it's actually a pretty fun story, and I like the idea of having them investigate the supernatural. And it's it's an odd team, but they definitely picked this team for a reason, so... And maybe it is a lot of them have a, a pretty strong connection to hell. Who knows? Maybe. Yeah. I guess we'll see. Yeah. No, it's true. It's true. Uh, so Rob, uh, what'd you learn today? Even if you're wearing nothing, you need to have a belt for extra knives. <laughs> Where else are you going to put them, especially if you're not wearing any pants? That's true. Like, you only have so many places for, uh, utility pouches if you don't have any pants on. That's true. <laughs> uh, so what I learned today, Rob? You learned that if you are Hispanic, you actually won at the Alamo. <laughs> Remember the Alamo! It's a lot different across the border. That's a, I have to imagine. <laughs> Man, that's a that's a rough one. Uh but the true but true. That's a very good point. You never think about it from that point of view, especially being on this side of the border. No. No. And actually, you know, I it was it was a good reminder cuz you know, if you're not familiar with Richter, yeah, yeah, he's Hispanic. That's true. He, he just is. doesn't he just doesn't say a lot. Right, which is good. It's <laughs> <That's> good. <laughs> Man, all right. Uh well, Robbie got any books to watch? You know, I, I, I've i been watching for a while. I mean, Birthright has always been one that I really enjoy. Deathbed, I really want to finish up. Um, they actually just wrapped Lucifer, which was beautiful, beautiful artwork in that book. Uh, pretty neat story. But they just they just wrapped that one up. Um, Action Comics, got a big milestone coming. So the Avengers, No Surrender, I've actually been very happy with that one as well. I'm super excited, and I know I talked about it last week whenever we did the whole thing about the Image Expo, but uh, Death or Glory, like he's had a couple more pages come out, and they look awesome. Uh, if you get a chance to look at the new previews, it's got like the first, I, I don't know if they're the first four pages or if they're like, I don't know where they take place in the story, but there's four pages inside the previews that show you what it's going to look like. So I'm super excited for that. That's also another Rick Remender book. Medieval Spawn Witchblade, there's also some pages out for it finally. Um, super stoked for that, actually. It's another one we mentioned a couple weeks ago, but I think that'll be freaking awesome. Well, along with that, there's also uh, Oblivion Song, the new one from Robert Kirk. Oh, yeah, which is actually really good, too. I think it'll be fantastic. Uh, we do have a bunch of Marvels to get ready to restart, number one here in May. Uh, the new Black Panther series still going to be Tanisha Coates, so I'm happy for that because, I mean, the dude's awesome, so I think that'll be great. If you want to get on Black Panther, you'll be a new number one, so I check that out. Um, they announced who was doing doing Deadpool and he was doing Spider-Man. I can't remember now, but I was happy about both those when I read it. And I think we're also getting what, a new number one for just Avengers. And Ed McGinnis is doing work on that one. Yes. So that'll be super awesome. So I'm excited to see his, his work on it. Heck yeah. There, there is some really strong other X-Men titles. I mean, we, we talked about X-Men Blue. We talked about New Mutants. But Astonishing X-Men and X-Men Red have been pretty phenomenal. So, and I mean, X-Men Red at this point is a great spot to jump in. Uh, oh, astonishing is only a few issues in at this point. 
Well, Astonish is a little farther down the road. I mean, X-Men yeah. Red literally had issue two come out like maybe two weeks ago. That's true. Yeah. And they did second prints at number one. The second print covers are great. So It's true. But yeah, it's actually a really good X title. So, I mean, if, if you're looking for one, I would recommend Red. So Right. And I know we've mentioned it before on the show, but uh, at the end of next month, we're getting the Action Comics 1000. So, yes. I want to say it's past time for picking covers if you go to your retailers, but at this point, I'm pretty sure they can still back order and it's not too, too late. So, you know, if there's a cover you want, get on it, folks, because there's yeah. like nine of them. Don't wait for it to come out and then be like, oh, I wanted to get the 1940s cover. Right. Because not everybody's going to get those covers. No, they're not. Do you do some work for yourself, like, to make, make sure you get the one that you really want. Right. Because, I mean, it's, chances are we're not going to see 2000 anytime soon. Oh, I mean, really? Wise, none of us will be alive for that, Rob. Oh, probably not. There you go. Probably not. Now you know, knowing he's half the battle. I've said that like three times this show. I want to make sure people know that. Yeah, Joe. I don't have anything else. Which ironically doesn't have a good book right now. I'm sorry. No, that's not true. The Scarlet book's pretty good. Is it? People here just don't, like, here people in our shop just don't read it. Yeah, I get you. Which is a sad thing. I mean, other than me, I, mean, I am getting it and I do oh, like okay. it. So. We got a female there, cover commander. There you go. Freaking great. Anyway, alright, Tiki. Tiki! Tiki! Sasa! Walk it on the mountain?